and welcome back to Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have Walter Lukashensky. Before I toss it to him, I want you to know that this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com, the premier Delta 8 edible. Remember, use that promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order as well as free shipping. And with that, Wally, another week under our belt. A lot of college football with conference championships being played this weekend. So I know your plate was a little bit more full than mine. But with all that being said, how the hell are you and how was your weekend, pal? I didn't get into it much last weekend purely because I was still so disgusted about it. First thing you and I talked about when we saw each other today is you notice I have a University of Georgia hat on. I don't wear other college hats. I don't do it. It's Ohio State, do or die. I've been more in pain from a football mind perspective in the last week and a half than I can remember in my life. It is turned into a job watching this stuff right now. I know it'll come back and I'm going to love football again, but I am in pain over that Ohio State-Michigan game. So, with everything going on now with the announcement of the college football playoff, Michigan playing Georgia, I'm rooting for equal pain for them, and that's all I can hope for. That's the only thing I can hang my hat on right now. Outside of that, we're alive, and I guess we're doing pretty well. How are you doing, buddy? Another week. It was a bye week for the Packers, so it was a little bit slower. I don't think I was as fully invested into a lot of the games as I usually am without my Packers playing, but... It's Bears week. Yet, not a lot of trash talk between me and Adam Alfonso quite yet. I've had a busy week. But trust me, Adam, I will get to you. And we will exchange some text messages. And I'm excited because he'll actually be in town here next weekend. So we get to kick back, watch a little football. And then I get to talk shit to him live after Green Bay whoops that ass. Even with 12 and a half point favorites going into at least today's episode. We'll see how that, that will adjust. Before we get into our NASCAR segment that we brought to you here last week. Let's get a couple stories from around the sports world in general. I know we talked about the college football playoffs. Final four seeds have been set in stone. We have Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati, the Bearcats, coming off an undefeated season, looking to prove themselves here in the playoffs. Maybe Luke Vickle can get a powerhouse started here. Very unlikely. I think there's already one in the state of Ohio if that rings a bell to you, Wally. Did the playoff committee get that four right to you? You're the, you're the resident college football head here. I just enjoy it for the gambling and just because it's football and it gets me going on a Saturday. Do you think they have it right here? And who's the team that you're focusing on and believe is to win? Because I know you're not going to pick Michigan, so you have three people to really choose from. I would have picked Michigan if I truly believed that they would win. I picked them to win the Big Ten championship after they beat Ohio State as much as it hurt me to do. That's neither here nor there. I don't believe they will get it done. This is the weakest college football Final Four that I think we've seen since it's come out in 2015. It's weird because it is a year that Alabama right now isn't nearly as good as we've seen the national championship Alabama teams of old. But I believe that they are set to win another one just because of the style of play they have. If Georgia can surprise Michigan, and I think they will, I guess it's less of a surprise. I think they're favored by six and a half, the opening line was. I think you're going to see a rematch of the SEC title game, and unfortunately, that means Alabama will likely get it done, I guess, yet again, but I don't fucking care. I really I really don't know why I put this on this rundown. 
because it implies that I... You just wanted I, to torture yourself, clearly. <laughs> yeah, because it, like, implies I wanted to talk about it. And now, as soon as you asked me, I, like, like why did I write this down? Even Bama winning is kind of a nightmare. There's not a, a good scenario for an Ohio State fan. I guess perhaps the best one would be Cincinnati. And then you're going to have the people in Southwest Ohio think that they run the state now, as if that's even possible. I don't care. I really, I, I think I have to say go dogs. I think that's what I believe. Go dogs. Why not? You know, finally, maybe a little bit of parity in the college football. Seems like it's the same three to four teams. You know, Alabama's a mainstay there. It feels like they're just a perennial lock every single year the college football playoff is coming in. And Georgia, why not Georgia? You know, they've had a hell of a year. That defense is insane. It'd just be nice to switch it up every now and again. I'm not talking about forever, but yeesh. Not an Ohio State, not an Alabama, not Clemson just not being in it. It's nice, but just one year, right? Everyone really enjoyed the Patriots not being in the Super Bowl talks last year. This is going to be the same boat. But look, Patriots are it's back. Just, Everyone uh, else will be back as well. It's crazy, though. You just said Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson all potentially not being there for a change. Alabama was down 10 to nothing with less than seven minutes left against their arch rival Auburn. And if they lose that game, we are looking at a final four with four entirely different teams. That would have been awesome. Instead, they come back, Auburn chokes. And even though you might have three new faces, you're going to see a very familiar one probably holding that trophy at the end of the day. And that's just disgusting. Flip it over to the NBA world here. Steph Curry is only 15 three-pointers away from tying Ray Allen's all-time record. This one, this one hits a little close from home. Yes, I know everyone in the state I reside in hates Steph Curry. But the original state, North Carolina, I remember being in high school when Steph Curry, just a couple hours west of me, over in Davidson near Charlotte, North Carolina, was lighting up the March Madness world. And the performances that he was putting on, the threes that he was nailing, the distance of the threes that he was nailing, only to become, which even with or without these 15 three-pointers, he is the best three-point shooter in the history of the NBA. And it's amazing to see. Again, I know a lot of my Cavaliers friends hate me saying this. I I don't have any emotional investment into Cleveland sports, so I'm not going to be, I'm not going to let that taint my perception of Steph Curry and what he brings to this game. It's awesome. And something that we never, you know, watching Ray Allen grow up, really kind of seeing the tail end of his career when we were able to remember with the tail end of the Boston Celtics and betraying them and going to the Miami Heat to get a championship and play with LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh. Obviously that big three-pointer that he hit in game six to send that to a seventh game against San Antonio. Uh, I want to say in 2014. It was the year before they lost to the Spurs and they came back. I can't remember what that would have. Yeah, I think it might have been, what, 2014. I think you might be right. Yeah, that would have been, I think it was 2013. Before, 2013. 2013. 2014, they, yeah, came back and won 2013, lost in 2014 to that same Spurs team. But I know you're not really a big basketball guy. I want to say I'm a huge NBA guy. I'm just a little bit more well-versed in the sport because that's not really your cup of tea. But from the outside looking in, what do you think about Steph Curry and him inevitably breaking this three-point record with a lot, a lot of time in his career left to just push that up into a Jerry Rice-esque area where no one's touching it? Yeah, like unlike the NFL where I, I tell you guys that college football is my favorite thing on earth. But I love the NFL almost equally as much. It's just football in general. 
it's not the same with basketball. I'm a diehard college basketball fan, but I've never really gotten to the NBA as much. So I'll root for the Cavs when they're good because it's a local team and all that. But yeah, you're right. That, that period of time when LeBron came back for his second stint, naturally in Ohio, I'm stuck watching more NBA than I usually would be. It's impossible to say that he hasn't changed the game of basketball. You can see it trickle down well like before the NBA level. Guys are taking longer range shots at a very young age that when we were growing up, can you imagine what our coaches would have done? Like, what are you doing shooting that ball? If I just shot a three-pointer, it was like a big deal. Now it's kind of like... Well, that's that's because we're big boys. We're we're meant for the post. We're meant for the paint. We shouldn't be shooting threes no matter what distance. Hell, we should barely be shooting shooting two-pointers. See, this guy right here, this big fella used to not be as big, though. That's the problem. So I was playing like a three or a four when we were younger. Then I stopped growing and I had to stop playing because I just, at some point, you're five nine. You don't you don't have that ability to play down low anymore. But whatever. Yeah, so it was just, uh, it's interesting. But I mean, Steph Curry, he definitely changed the game of basketball. And I, it's going to be crazy. I know he's already kind of joking around with the prospect of if he hit 15 threes, he'd break his own teammate Clay Thompson's single game record. He's the kind of guy with theatrics. I could see him at least give it a shot, but you would have to imagine whoever it is. I can't remember who it was. They're playing tomorrow night, or I guess today for you guys at home. You know they're going to do everything in their power to make sure it's not them that sees that record fall against. You cannot stop him because, like you said, how far away from the basket he's nailing these. You have to straight up defend Steph Curry. I would would argue slightly before the half-court mark. Because right there, okay, right when he gets into the logo area on the opposite side of the half court, that's when you really need to start locking down defense. But how he's able to still just fight through screens, continuously get open, he never stops running. He's like the Energizer Bunny. It's going to be awesome seeing it. Yes, again, all the all the Ohioans hate seeing it, but you got to appreciate greatness. Completely all agree. I gotta say. Gotta, you have to appreciate greatness. Well said. And with that, that is going to bring us to our NASCAR segment. So if you missed us here last week, scrap and hair of dog until next year. We're going to do a little NASCAR segment, get you in and out, the fast-paced offense to get you out of the games. No one really gives a shit about listening about, but you know what? We're still going to run through them here a little bit. The Dallas Cowboys, worth Taysom Hill, caused him to throw four interceptions in the first game that he is starting here this year. And, man, the Cowboys needed that after going 1-3 in November is this enough to really get them rolling with five straight divisional games here to the end of the season? Backwards hat, Dan Quinn got the win in your boy McCarthy's absence. I would love to hear Coward's take on that. And with the Saints, like you said, losing five straight games now, I mean, Sean Payton got to feel like his tenure's probably close to being up in New Orleans as well. Tampa Bay controlled Atlanta this weekend. They won by 13. And for those betting on that game, a very late cover with a field goal. Tom Brady is now 10-0 all-time against the Falcons, including the playoffs. Can't imagine any of those stand out to you, huh, Steven? No, no, not ringing a bell. 28-3? I don't know, maybe got to sit on it. As I said last week, Tom Brady coming up with those four touchdowns this game. That's back-to-back wins. They have an easy schedule down the stretch. This is the time they're going to start rolling. I do not want to see him when January starts. Unfortunately, as a Packers fan, that's an inevitable matchup. The Chicago Bears fall behind early, and stay behind against the return of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. 
as the Cardinals win 33 to 22. There's really real no shot here for the Chicago Bears. Chicago, you're done as well as Matt Nagy. Arizona seems like they haven't missed a beat. The Cardinals and the Patriots are the only two teams in the NFL that are still undefeated on the road. Both of them continue to shatter expectations, and it might not be out of the realms of possibility that those two teams may meet up in February. The Giants really, really suck, man. And the Dolphins actually have started stringing together a few wins here. Don't look now, but the Dolphins have won five straight games after starting the year one and seven. Can they get themselves in a wild card discussion? You said it best, five in a row. I definitely think that they can push for that wild card spot. But Buffalo, maybe you should start looking over your, your other shoulder for this Miami Dolphins team that is rolling. You still have a matchup against them. A couple other divisional games here. Maybe the Finns aren't officially out. Brian Flores has got those guys playing. What's new? Mike Lennon starting in place for Danny Jones. That was a dumpster fire waiting to happen. That's exactly what we saw here this Sunday. <laughs> the Colts skull fucked the Texans. 31-0. Never a chance. Expected this game. Jonathan Taylor back. 32 touches. A buck 43 and two touchdowns. He is my MVP of this year. No one can tell me different because it's just musical chairs at the quarterback position and who we think the MVP is. But Jonathan Taylor is staying consistent over these last two months. Yeah, again, I've said it a few weeks ago, but maybe the only other person that should be in the conversation may be a running back that hasn't played football in a month. The Colts are back in the thick of things in the AFC, unlike the Texans, who have scored fewer than 10 points now six times this year. Speaking of helpless, though, the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Rams beat them this week by 30 points. I really thought we might be looking at a game similar to the Jets-Rams last year. Instead, Jags fans may be thinking that they could steal one. Well, that's not exactly what happened, Steven. Jacksonville going across the coast from Florida to L.A. And the Rams doing what they do best. Beating teams that are under 500 and winning games that they should. I don't know what to think of this game. It's the Rams doing exactly what they should. They have a nice Monday night matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe they can get things right in that offense. The Kansas City Chiefs don't look perfect. Well, this game was never in doubt against the Denver Broncos where Pat Mahomes extends his winning streak to 11-0 against that division rival. I'm going to say it again. The Chiefs are not scaring anyone. This offense is not clicking, and this defense is getting way too much praise, in my opinion. Chiefs do win this game. Wasn't as sharp or as crisp as we have been used to in the past, but they get it done. And maybe you might not be impressed a lot with the defense or how they're winning games, but they are winning games again, and that is very important. Minshew Mania is back and has us posing the question, are the Eagles going to repeat their underdog role from the 2017 season? We need to first of all remember, this is against the New York Jets though. You have to trust Sirianni to play the quarterback that gives them the best chance to win. And I think that right now, that quarterback is Gardner Minshew. Minshew with 80% completion. That's the highest of the Eagles quarterback this year. Second most passing yards for the Eagles quarterback this year. And the highest rating of a quarterback in Philadelphia at 133.7. The Tennessee East teams are all playing each other these, these last five weeks. Yes, he does not have that rushing aspect that Jalen Hurts can bring to the table, but Jalen Hurts cannot bring this passing aspect to the table. And that's saying a lot when the counterpart we're comparing you to is Gardner Minshew. Not to knock Gardner Minshew, but that's just the situation that we're in. Why not stick with, with Gardner? That was a different energy. The only time they put up more points was against the Detroit Lions, which you should. And with that, that is going to bring us to the end of our NASCAR 
segment of the show. We're actually going to present you with a new segment real quick. It's going to be called the challenge flag. This is where out of all the eight games that we just discussed here, where we're throwing the challenge flag and where we want to call someone out on. So Wally, inaugural challenge flag. I want to toss it to you before I start sounding off because I have some fun stuff. You and I, ironically, are throwing the challenge flag, I believe, here on the same game. We'll see once it gets to your turn. But we're on the opposite sides of this, so this should be fun. I actually think that the Chiefs winning right now is the worst news for the rest of the NFL. They're finding new ways to win, and it really does have the makings of that 2018 Patriots team that started going from, what, they went from winning Super Bowls in those high-scoring realms, the Atlanta Falcon kind of 34 to 28 games, to then, they played the Rams, won 13-3 or 10-3, whatever the hell it was, I can't remember. But that's what this Chiefs team is starting to look like they're doing. I understand they haven't played any prolific offense in the last month. And their defense doesn't have the giant names out there. But they have not allowed more than 14 points in any of the last four games they've played. I think that they held teams in single digits, either two or three of those. I don't care who you're playing. That is a very impressive thing to do. I don't necessarily think the Chiefs are back because I think this is a new look Chiefs. But either way, this Chiefs team is going to be a problem for teams in the AFC. So I have a challenge flag on the Chiefs. I'm challenged. I'm throwing a challenge flag at you too. Because if you guys know the NFL rule books, you get two. If you win that second one, you get a third. I'm expecting to get my third challenge flag here. This Kansas City team, no one should be scared of. Let's go to Wally's defense. Yes, Kudos to Kansas City's defense. They have held three opponents to single digits over the last five games. Who are those opponents, you may ask? Let's go. New York Giants. They won by three points. They barely scored in the second half, if any. 20-17 to 17 against the New York Giants. The Giants are dog shit. You should be blowing them out. And honestly, you should not be allowing them to score 17 points. The next week, the Aaron Rodgers-less Green Bay Packers, which was a one-possession game, and that offense didn't score in the second half, and quite frankly, can barely do anything during that. But cool, I'm giving you kudos for holding Jordan Love to seven points, and he almost blew the game still. Next game, awesome. Held the Raiders to 14, a team you guys have been beating up on since Pat Mahomes took over. You shouldn't win this game. It's an divisional game. Games you are most comfortable playing, you should be doing that. Awesome. Cowboys, without their top tackle, without their top two wide receivers, awesome. You held them to nine points. I don't care. You only scored 19 against that porous defense as well on the offensive side of the ball. I can't give the prop. I don't want to give kudos to a defense that isn't doing anything because then you hold the Denver Broncos to nine points. A Teddy Bridgewater team that is so hot and cold. Again, a divisional game who, again, Pat Mahomes dominates 11-0 in his career, good job. You're winning divisional games as you should, and you're barely beating teams that are worse or in, quote-unquote, your realm. Let's flip it over to the offensive side of the ball. I don't want to hear any Pat Mahomes is starting to get it hot. Over this five-game stretch, he is averaging 258 yards per game. That's dog shit to his standards, really anyone's standards. At least Tua is putting up a little bit more than that. They put that in perspective, Carson Wentz is averaging 226 yards per game. That's ass. Seven touchdowns over that stretch. That's awesome. Let's take away the five against the Vegas Raiders. That's two in a four-game stretch. Not to include, he also has two interceptions over that. Both in the last game, Pat Mahomes also has not thrown a touchdown in two games. Everyone wants talks about, oh, maybe we can catapult him into the MVP talks. He's top five in 
in yards and he's top five in touchdowns. Cool. You're also tied third for the most under interceptions. You're 22nd in completion percentage and you're 16th in rating. This defense is a joke. This offense is not scaring anybody. This is not the Chiefs team of the past. I am tired of people waiting. Oh, well, this is the week. You know what? This is the week that they get it together. How many times are we going to say that? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me six times in a 14-week span? That's shame on me. I am not going to jump onto the Chiefs bandwagon. They're going to choke. They are not the same team. No one's scared of them. And outside of that, the AFC is wide open for them for them to take it. I do not see it. I am more than okay. In Wally's words, eating crow on this. But I know I'll be eating fried chicken instead, sitting on my throne of hot takes that I'm right on. So a few things there. First of all, I'd love this is interesting because I don't think either of us expected the same game to get us on opposite sides for our first ever challenge flag here. Just a couple of things here, and then we'll go on, and we'll get into the the Chiefs and Raiders a little bit more when we get to the gambling segment. But you saw my jaw drop about halfway through that. You said that they were 11-0 win against the Broncos in the Pat Mahomes era? Yeah, buddy. That's insane. Like That's one of those, as a Raider fan, I thought the Chiefs owned us at an unprecedented level. And what, we're probably 1-10 or 2-9 in that same stretch, but... But how many one possession games, or how you know how close are those games? I know, I know, I know two of them last year, pretty damn close, and they covered, or at least I know they covered one of them. They covered they, both no, for sure, I think, because exactly. I mean they lost the second game by either three or four points. I just these teams that Kansas City is beating; these are all teams that everyone in the whole NFL is like, "Oh, these teams are ass." Oh, Aaron Rodgers without the Packers, no, we can scrap that. Oh, the Giants. It's the fucking Giants. The Raiders, no one wants to dedicate to the Raiders. Let's be real here. That's that time of the year they start slipping. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. The Broncos and then the Cowboys, who don't have any of their offensive players, these are all teams that people are bashing. Yet, when the Kansas City Chiefs beat them, it's a miraculous five-game winning streak. That's what is really grinding my gears about this. No, no, and I actually think that you're right from that perspective that we need to stay consistent because, like, early in the year, the Broncos started 3-0, and and they beat, I think, the two New York teams, and they beat Houston, I think. And I was the first one to say, look who they beat. They're not a 3-0 and team. So I agree that we shouldn't do the same or what move the goalposts for Kansas City, and I think a lot of teams have. But they are 8-4, and four, and they have to play who's on their schedule, and at some point, we have to wonder... This defense that started so poorly at the start of the year, even though it's against a bunch of no-name quarterbacks, they've gotten better. They've answered the bell when they could have really, what, I guess, shriveled up in the face of a lot of pressure. I think that defense is equally as bad. Yeah, now they're getting a little momentum and they're getting confidence, but they haven't played, obviously, a competent offense. And the most competent offense they played in that stretch was the Raiders, and they have just been going through the fucking ringer this year between, obviously, between John Gruden, you got the Henry Rugg story, and got an interim head coach trying to keep trying to keep everyone's mind away from that. And that, and that Raiders game was closer, too, it. than people want to give it credit for. You look at the final score, it looks ugly. That was a game until early in the fourth quarter as well. Exactly. That's a classic example of, one play just completely turns this away, and now it's now it's turning into a blowout. And yes, Pat Mahomes, awesome. 
five touchdowns, but let's take away the Raiders game. Four-game stretch where you have two touchdowns and two interceptions and averaging 258 yards. Honestly, you're not even averaging that because that was the only game you eclipsed 300 and you had 406 yards. So we'll do 258 times five. We take away that 405, sorry, 406 that he had. We divide that by four games. That's 221. That is less than what Carson Wentz is averaging currently for the year. How can you be scared of that? That's all I'm saying. Big analytics guy, if you haven't picked up on it. Well, we both definitely agree with the idea that the Chiefs aren't the same team anymore. It's just at this point, we're disagreeing on whether that's a good or a bad thing. We'll find out. This is the fun part about doing this challenge flag is that it's going to sometimes take us uh, several weeks, a month. We'll know probably in that early January part if this Chiefs team is for real or not, and we'll be able to revisit and figure out who was right on this first challenge flag, Stephen. And while the refs are going to go under the booth here for the next five weeks, we are going to go through the top games of week 13. First one, we want to talk about your beloved Las Vegas Raiders. Washington football team hitting a game-winning field goal with 37 seconds left to win their fourth straight, and both these teams are moved to 6-6. Six and six. Taylor Heineke, 196 with two touchdowns and an interception, and Derek Carr only posting 249 yards with zero in each category, touchdowns and interceptions. The Raiders were held to 310 yards, 25% on third down, and this team just simply cannot stay consistent. Again, I know it's that time of the year where it just feels like we're a broken record. But Wally, your team, open it up to you. I want you to sound off, pal. Yeah, this will definitely be our tabbies game of the week here, where after this one you'll hear our ad, because my God, did this make me want to freaking down about 15 tabs. I, this, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, t- I'm tired. It's it's the same story every week, and it's got to be as old for you guys hearing it as it is for me saying it, and I'm not going to anymore. This is uh, this is it. I, I, I'm really... I'm just tired. This was the definition of a defensive struggle, which is something that I would have killed for for my entire life as a Raiders fan. As soon as we get a defense, this year with all of its glory happens to this team, and it's just hard for me to... the get anything but an empty feeling inside. And then here, okay, you know what? Steve, I'm going to say one other thing. The Raiders, first of all, they suck. They're 6-6. Six and six. They're dead in the water. I don't care. The season's over. People are going to decide it's Derek Carr's fault, and I'm over it. I don't care. If that's your belief, that's your belief. Have it, whatever. We'll know at the start of next season what direction the franchise is going with, and I will support that team, obviously, regardless. But Derek Carr will be the quarterback. But the thing I want to say, Vegas is the coolest city on earth. Raiders fans are some of the best fans on earth. And unfortunately, the move to Vegas is going to be a net negative for Raiders fans. It's going to bring in a lot of money for the Davis family. It's going to have an awesome stadium. But what you are seeing week in and week out right now, and something you never saw when that team was in Oakland or in LA, they are getting their stadium run over by opposition fans. Everybody's treating this like Disney World for football fans. Oh, wow. Our team's playing in Vegas this year. Let's take a road trip and go watch them play at the freaking black hole. I just... I'm just so disappointed. I Not only have we seen the head coach get fired for a scandal, we have seen the Henry Ruggs debacle, and now we are seeing the proud Raiders fans... 
get outnumbered in their own stadium for the first time in the team's existence because of the move. And I, I don't know what to say. I, I It's gross for me. It, this is a team that prides itself on history. It's a team that prides itself on that home field advantage. You went from having one of the best ever with that bullshit baseball field and the Gorilla Man, Gorilla Rilla, the Intimidator, all these great fans of the Black Hole in Oakland. And now, this it was 50-50. It had to have been 50-50 on Sunday between Washington fans and Raiders fans. I know red is really, a, like, it stands out versus black. I get it. But I'm, I just, imagine watching the Packers at Lambeau Field and seeing a random opposition team come in and make it a 50-50 game. I feel disgusting even saying it. Yeah, this was a rough game. It was, a, it was an ugly game. The way you guys play defensively, between Max Crosby, Yannick, and Gawkway, Max Crosby, I felt like every time I was looking up, was just disrupting plays. Just it's been all year. Plays, which he's, it's been all which, year. Exactly. You took it right out of my mouth, which they've been doing all year. He's Him and Yannick are the leading duo in pressures and quarterback pressures. And, and for what, it seems like? It just doesn't really seem to matter because you're not going to ever get a coverage sack with that secondary for them to be able to really – take advantage of those pressures and turn those into quarterback hits as well as sacks, tackles for loss, things like that. So it's upsetting. We can stay on this all day. I know you can talk about it all day. Yeah, I, I don't I don't blame the Raiders defense, but that's neither here nor there. I'm tired of this team. Whatever. The next game, though, we're talking about another AFC West team, but the Chargers and Bengals. This game was weird, man. I wrote it down. This felt like three separate games in one. The Chargers jump up 24 to nothing. Then the Bengals scored 22 unanswered points before the Chargers finished the game with a 17-0 run to make it a 41-22 final score. This game was bizarre, and if you watched it, it was, first of all, it was very entertaining. The Bengals basically didn't have the ball in this game until it was 17-0. Joey Burrow got strip-sacked and broke his finger. Guy's gritty. That thing is swollen like a mother, too. And it's going to be miserable to throw. That's on his throwing hand. And you know he's going to keep playing with it. Because that's, you know, the kind of guys these NFL players are. They're competitors. But he's going to be out there, hopefully for him, hopefully for Bengals fans, it doesn't look all that bad. But this was such a sloppy game. Even beyond that, you had Jamar Chase drop what would have been a long touchdown pass and basically threw the ball behind him to a defender for a pick. And then the Chargers had their own problems. They turned it over three times as well. I don't even know where to begin with this game. I'll toss it to you first. It was a drunk game, and the Chargers came out with the win here, and this was very important for the wild card perspective for both these teams. Hopefully for Bengals fans, this doesn't come back to bite them in the ass, but I know Steelers fans, Ravens fans, and Browns fans are all very much hoping that that's not true. Well, fuck the wild card. Remember, Kansas City's only one game up on the Chargers. The Chargers have the tiebreaker, and they still have a, have a meeting left before that season concludes. Maybe the, Char- the Chargers potentially have the right to win that division still, and they're still in striking distance. Seven turnovers in this game, 10 sacks. The Chargers with a defensive touchdown that really sparked that 17-0 run to end the game to put them up 41-22 and just completely get this game out of reach. These are the two teams that we didn't know who to pick. Both these teams are hot and cold. Wally was expecting this result from the Bengals, I picked the charges on here, and it was true. It was a true 50-50 because this could have happened either way. This Chargers team, when they play like this and they're not giving up 24-point leads, 
one of the best offenses in the league, I think. Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, the catches this dude makes. He had 94 yards with about five minutes left in the first quarter off three catches. The catches that this dude makes, Keenan Allen with two first quarter touchdowns is well in this game. One of those coming on fourth down. I know that you love Staley and the way he runs those fourth downs and just does not give a fuck and he's staying aggressive. You love to see that. Sometimes it does come bite him in the ass. I think that 7-5 and five record really shows it. But when it's on, the man's a genius. And when they're losing, the guy's an idiot not knowing what he should do. Should not be talked about in coach of the year, yada, yada, yada. Maybe this is the game that can finally get the Chargers to string a couple together, knowing what they have in front of them to take advantage of that AFC West thrown in that division. But man, no one in the AFC North wants to win that division. You have the Ravens losing, which we'll get to. You have the Bengals losing. The Steelers winning against the Ravens, again, which we'll get to. And the Browns not moving because they had a bye week here. No one wants to take advantage of winning that AFC North, which is entertaining for us. A lot of divisional matchups here down the stretch, Walter. Yeah, and this game was brutal for a Bengals fans, not only because you lose the game, but it felt like you lost a lot more. Even if Joey Burrow is going to be playing, you have to hope that he's healthy, but we're not sure. But he was far from the only Bengal that got hurt in this game. Some very, very important Bengals. Jadobia Wuzier, I'm still waiting to find out what happened to his leg. He ended up taking a pick and got hit after he was ruled down by contact, like five seconds after, because he picked it up and kept running. That's how he got hurt. That blows. Logan Wilson, who might have been the most important player on this defense this year, just always has a nose for the football. He looks like, I think they said he dislocated his shoulder, so he should miss a little time. Joe Mixon and T. Higgins also got a little dinged up. Apparently, Joe Mixon was barely able to walk after the game. T. Higgins was barely able to run his routes, which led to an interception. Eh, not good. I, I don't know, especially with how difficult their schedule is down the stretch. It's going to be really, really difficult for the Bengals to make it out of that really stout AFC. The Detroit Lions are not going winless this year. They beat the Minnesota Vikings on a Jared Goff touchdown pass with two seconds left in the game. It was awesome to see. I hope Detroit doesn't get hot here and start stringing in together at least minimum five wins because that means I'm going to lose my under bet on the year at four and a half that I took at plus money. I don't think it's going to happen. But I've seen crazier things in the NFL. I never thought that the Lions would get a tie before their first win as well. You never know here in the National Football League. Adam Thielen leaving this game early. The Minnesota Vikings were already without Dalvin Cook. Honestly, that's still no excuse for a divisional opponent. Minnesota has now dropped two in a row after getting back to 500 and facing off against that 49ers team that looked like that was a wild card bout. All of a sudden, Minnesota looks to be on the out while a lot of teams are coming up like the Washington football team my main takeaway outside the Lions winning is just the scene of them winning what's the first thing Jared Goff does after he throws a touchdown pass yeah he gets a little chest bump from Jamal Williams but runs right over to Dan Campbell gives that man a huge hug I think that you know obviously you're a quarterback running to Dan Campbell into his arms that just proves not only Jared Goff, but that what that team thinks of of Dan Campbell, awesome. And of course, after this press conference, Dan dedicates the game ball to the Oxford, the Oxford High School that just had that tragic school shooting here happen last week. Love to see it for the Lions, that community, and the way that 
they just radiated and circled around Dan Campbell. But the Lions got their fucking kneecap finally. Yes, they did get their kneecap. Your bet is safe. I don't think you have to worry about that. But Goff's reaction is all you need to know about this team. If you are a Lions fan, you gotta have to, that good feeling, you got a good one in Dan Campbell. But now comes the hard part. You have to be patient even when your team sucks this time next year because these kind of rebuilds take a lot of time and people are going to just naturally expect that quick turnaround even if they, who knows what they do at the quarterback position. I don't think Goff is going to be a long-term option there. Maybe he's a band-aid for one more season. But it's going to take time and you have to be patient. But I'm still, when I look back at this, because this was on Red Zone at first, before I went back and really kind of did a deep dive into this, I'm not sure how the Vikings lost this game. If you stop settling for field goals, I mean, there's not a quicker way to give a team like Detroit hope than settling for field goals and turning the ball over. I know they only had one turnover, but they also turned it over on downs in the first half. Between those two first half turnovers, air quotes, they led to 10 Lions points. That was really all the defense was allowing for the most part. I know the Lions got yardage and chunk plays, but up until the final drive, the defense wasn't that bad. But then the final drive happened. Allowing a 14-play touchdown drive in under two minutes is enough to get almost any defensive coordinator fired. And it makes you wonder, when is Mike Zimmer's time going to be up? It feels like if they miss the playoffs this is probably going to have to be it. I mean, he's a defensive-minded coach. He's 65 years old. I just don't know how long you can stick with a guy like this. We've done this experiment time and time again. And that's what Mike Zimmer has brought himself on, these great defenses he had with the Cincinnati Bengals. Then we're bringing over to the Minnesota Viking in his early start to his tenure. This just isn't the same team. And I get it. The talent level isn't there but you can make arguments for a lot of less talented defenses producing higher than this Minnesota Vikings team with a, with a speck more of talent than some of these other defenses. And with the offense that you have with speak about talent on the offensive side of the ball for them to not be a top five offense, I think is mind blowing between Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook. You can even sprinkle in, Alexander Matson, if you want to. You got Jack Conkle that's make that's having a nice year. I know I said it once over the past few weeks. They are just not producing it the way that they should be. They can produce against the Green Bay Packers every time they play. Basically any other team, I feel like they're just not living up to that standard. One fun fact I want to throw out here before we move on to the next the next game. The Houston Texans are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, and the Detroit Lions are not. That's as simple as the AFC this year is better than the NFC by a wider gap than I can ever remember either conference being better than the other. It's crazy. The Pittsburgh Steelers are really the NFL equivalent to that Undertaker meme, Steven, where he pops back up in the middle of the ring. Every time I feel like I'm ready to call this team dead, they shove it up my hoop one way or another. I'm not actually going to criticize Lamar nearly as much as I think that you want to, at least from the way that our rundown is indicative of this. Everyone, not only you, is going to be really quick to blame Lamar exclusively for the offense's fall off. And I just don't believe that's really that fair, especially when you consider he's throwing to Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. And that's about it. Sammy Watkins isn't what Sammy Watkins was ever built up to be. I don't know why people love him so much. 
And they've gone through about a dozen running backs this year because of all the injuries in the preseason, even early season. Now you're bringing in a bunch of veterans that are over the hill. I just have a really difficult time saying that this is his fault. Yes, Lamar has to hit Mark Andrews on that two-point conversion try. Lamar Jackson has been underwhelming, sure. And yeah, he does have to be better. But when are we going to see him with an actual wide receiver to throw to? I think that's got to be the like primary focus in the offseason. It should have been for the last two or three is to get this guy any kind of weapon other than Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews because nobody can do it. We've You hear me defend Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield because they don't have wide receivers. It's not fair for me to just not defend him too. So that's my long rant to say, yeah, Steelers still have life. And, I mean, their schedule, though, it's just ridiculous. Their next two weeks, they play this Thursday against Minnesota on Thursday Night Football on the road, then against Tennessee. You have to win both of those games. And if you do, you're 8-5-1, and one, and you give yourself a puncher's chance. But then their final three games of the year, at Kansas City, home against the Browns, at the Ravens. How many games do you realistically think that this Steelers team has to win of these final five to get in out of that really difficult AFC. So Lamar Jackson is the number one person that we are praising when the Ravens are doing well, yet we can't talk about him when they don't do well. That's where that double-edged sword is where I don't agree. Lamar Jackson, we can get on our knees and just start blowing smoke up you know where, a couple other places, when they're doing well. And essentially, when they are getting by the skin of their teeth. When they are falling short, of course the of course the quarterback is who we're blaming. And Lamar Jackson, I remember saying, wow, he really put my foot in my mouth. When he had that nice week five matchup against the Colts, going 37-43, 86% completion with 442 yards and four touchdowns. Since then, he's never he has not had a had a game like this where he's being able to pass. And it's being I still think that it's Proven, I could take my foot out of my mouth and say, if you want to beat this Ravens team, make Lamar Jackson pass the ball. Because this Steelers defense was on him early and often, led by TJ Watt. This dude is a fucking animal. 16 sacks through 10 games this year. The Pittsburgh defense, seven sacks in this game with one turnover, and TJ Watt had three and a half of those sacks. Fun fact, two of the top... Three sack leaders are in the AFC North. I think they both have an opportunity, TJ Watt and Miles Garrett being that other guy, potentially breaking Michael Strahan's record with that 17th game added. Both of these teams are going to need to play that full 17-game slate to secure their playoff spot if they if they do end up making it that far. So this Ravens team, the only team in the NFL, they're not good on third down percentage. Defensively, they're the best in the league. Also, the only team in the league going into Sunday after the crunch some numbers that have scored less touchdowns, that have that have given up more touchdowns than they have actually scored, 30-28, to 28, with that winning record. How many game-winning field goals have we seen this year? Two or three? You take away that Justin Tucker 66-yard field goal against the Lions, that's an ugly win. Also, that's a 7-6 that's a team. Say he misses another game-winning field goal. That's a 500 team. Lamar's not doing anything. If we're going to praise Lamar Jackson, we should definitely give him criticism when he doesn't play well because I solely blame him on that throw to Mark Andrews. Yes, Mark Andrews, maybe he could have sold his soul a little bit more to get that. Maybe if you weren't Cam Newton-esque and fucking overthrowing a five-yard out route, 
everything would be okay. But it was a shitty throw. You've been making them all year. This is the game you follow up after the four-interception performance with another poor interception in this game. I, I, I can't stay on the Ravens bandwagon. Again, no one should be, and no one is scared of this team in the AFC. And this is, again, I think a lot like the Chiefs conversation that we're actually closer than you think. I'm not saying that Lamar is, like, blameless here. I'm just saying that he's not the guy that should be, like, weighing all of the blame. There is a lot of this to go around right now from not only on this team, the coaching staff, but from the front office down to put this team out there without the wide receiving weapons. Yeah, he, he's got to be better. He absolutely has to be better. But I think if you give him those weapons, it will come in time. It's hard to do. It's that old expression. We're trying to fit a square peg through a circle hole. Right now, they're trying to do stuff that they don't have the personnel to do. And I just, it's hard for me to just exclusively blame it. But I agree. No, they, this Ravens team, top to bottom, they're not what their record says. And they're lucky right now that that Bengals team lost this last weekend, especially with the tiebreaker, because otherwise they might be in a very similar spot that the Bills are, anywhere but safe. Even if they do address the wide receiver, can Lamar get the ball to him? Yes, we know that he has a pretty deep ball when the cornerback's 7 to 10 yards away from said receiver. Yes, I know Marquise Brown. Sammy Watkins can't stay on the field. Marquise Brown's injured. They both seem to have dropping problems. I don't care. After all this criticism of Tom Brady winning Super Bowls with really no wide receiver help, having that defense, yes, he had a Gronk. Yes, he had tight ends. But he's not giving a lot. But at no the same really, time... No one's really giving any... All of a sudden, you know, everyone's on Aaron's side. Well, he doesn't really have any help. Yet when he's balling with no help, no one really says anything. But at the same time, those guys' legs don't give them the opportunity to do what this offense does. And without all the running backs, this was a freak year. They're not going to have to get to their fifth and sixth running back in typical years. In a year that they have J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards, any of these guys, I think you're going to see the passing game opens up. You have these guys key in on run defense, and it allows There's no passing game for them to respect, to be worried about that, so they can key in on the run game, load up eight and nine people in the box like the Bills did in the Patriots game, which I cannot wait to get to. But there's just no true respect in the passing game where it's like, cool, beat me with your arm. I can swallow that pill if you can beat me with your arm. I just know you can't. So I'm going to sell my soul to stop you in the run, which I thought the Steelers did great with. And they were causing problems all week for Lamar. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that in a normal year in the past, even when teams are selling out on the run, the Ravens are still finding offensive success because of what that running game can do with how special his legs are. When J.K. Dobbs and Gus Edwards is back, and if you can add one weapon, I'm not even asking for a, a number one wide receiver, but give me that kind of like the Michael Crabtree to the Raiders a few years back kind of move. That's what I want to see. And I think if you do bring in a guy like that, you could see a Ravens team take the next step. But right now, I, I just don't think it's possible. The Seattle Seahawks stopped the 49ers momentum, which seems like a team that just got above 500, 6 and 5, now sinking right back to that 6 and 6. Defensive matchup, six turnovers. San Francisco, 30% on third down, and Seattle held to 33%. Ugly game. You had Seattle driving. They turned the ball over to put the game away. They turned the ball over in the two to three yard, yard mark. San Francisco cannot drive down to score. 
And I don't know what to think about this Niners. That Right when you thought you could trust them, they lose to Seattle. Their first win with Russell Wilson back at the helm here at quarterback. Seattle, you're done. You're just playing spoiler for the rest of the year until Russell Wilson wants to get out of that organization again here in the offseason. San Fran, what the hell are you doing? You had a great opportunity here against a divisional foe to really start making some noise and honestly put a little pressure to that L.A. Rams team. Do you think San Francisco still has the ability to give the Rams a little bit of run for that second spot in the NFC West? And is there any takeaways for the Seattle team here this late in the season with this game? It's actually, I'm glad that you asked that question. It's ironic. The only thing I wrote down for the Seahawks about this game is that I was happy that Adrian Peterson is getting at least one more gasp to get real playing time in the NFL, even if it is on a floundering team. He didn't look great. I know he got a touchdown, and hopefully he can at least hold on to that if this is going to prove to be one of his last games. That's about all I have for Seattle. On the flip, though, if you're not first, you're last. Or at least that's the way you should look at it if you're in a divisional race because you just want to get yourself into the playoffs. They're not going to win the NFC West. The goal should simply now be to win as many games as they can and make sure they're playing an 18th game this year. And I think it is possible because if you look at their schedule down the stretch, especially with how thin the NFC is, 6-6 six and six is actually a pretty good spot to be in right now. But they play at Cincinnati this weekend. We just talked about how banged up they are. Then you face a very bad Atlanta Falcons team. Go on the road to Tennessee. Who knows if they'll be healthy enough yet. Home against Houston. That's a win. And then you go to LA. I mean, there's potentially three, four wins on this schedule. And if you get the nine wins in this NFC this year, you're in the playoffs. So I don't know. If I'm San Francisco, this is all about just making sure you guys know your identity going into the playoffs. And looking at them the last month, they seem to have it figured out. I know they lose this game, but I do think that this San Francisco team is going to be in a good spot. And that leads us into the Monday night football game last night. An all-time weather game here. The wind was unreal in the pregame. I'm sure a lot of people saw the, the warm-up videos of guys kicking what would have been a routine 35-yard field goal. And they literally get caught in the air. It looks like there's just an invisible person holds it up and throws it directly to the right. Get out of here. Not going to happen. One of those weird ones. And Billy B hitting us all with that Service Academy special. He wears the Navy face mask pregame. We all should have known what was going to happen at that point. This Patriots team didn't throw their second pass in this game until under seven minutes to go. Had he not thrown those two, we could have been potentially talking about the fewest passes ever in a win in the NFL at one. The record's two. They now are going to be in that second spot with three. Weird game. I don't feel like there's a lot you can actually take out of it from a what did we learn from these teams? Because you're not going to be playing in a freaking hurricane every weekend. So this is just a matter for me that the Patriots, because of this game, they won the AFC East. I think this race is over. I don't think that Buffalo is going to be able to get it done in Foxborough. And at that point, if I'm a Buffalo fan, two of the next three weeks, traveling to Tampa, then you have to, again, like I said, three weeks, go to Foxborough. You might be looking at a seven-loss Buffalo team, and at that point, you were anything but guaranteed a playoff spot. If you were not able to watch this game, to put this in perspective how windy it was, the opening kickoff went about six rows into the stands. 
Yeah, we will. It's it's awesome when we see you know the ultimate joke. Oh, let's count that as three when the opening kickoff goes through the uprights. It went past. It's uh, that someone was just enjoying. Hey, hey, excuse me, sir. Can you uh, can you take this picture of me and my son? This is our first game at uh, you know at the Bills Patriots. And we and then a football just comes flying in. That was insane. The wind. It was awesome. Uh, to Wally's point, this was the fewest completions by a winning quarterback in an NFL game since 1974. That is astounding. If to put that in perspective, that was before me and Wally were born. So that's pretty that was pretty long ago. Before we were a twinkle in our father's eye. Before my dad even knew how to masturbate. That is the last time that a winning quarterback won the game on two completions. This says more about the Patriots. Yes, we know that we are looking for Mac Jones to really go up against, but when you know what you're good at and you're able to have that game plan and execute it to the perfection, you got to tip your hat. But my biggest takeaway and why I think this game sticks out in New England's favor is because New England was successful on the ground with 46 attempts for over 240 yards. Let's put that aside. The wind. You know that they're not going to pass the ball, even though Josh Allen looked like he was unaffected by it, which is fucking miraculous, I thought. He was still slinging them like there was no fucking wind at all. But the most disrespectful thing about this is the Bills are stacking eight to nine people in the box, and they knew the run was coming. It wasn't a surprise. That's all they fucking did. They passed it three times. They knew the run was coming, and they kept getting gashed. Play after play after play after play, as well as after play after play. That's an embarrassing, demoralizing loss to this Buffalo Bills team, which I've said in the past past couple weeks, they are frauds, and this is proving it more. You know what the game plan was for them about four plays into the game. You said Mac Jones had one pass attempt in the first half. Didn't have a second and third until under seven minutes in the fourth quarter. Wasn't a surprise. This is like you're really surprised at the team you're going up against under two minutes and you have all three of your timeouts and you're down and the opposing offense has the ball. What do you think they're doing? They're going to run it to fucking get the first down, eliminate your timeouts, and run the clock out. It's not a surprise they're running. Bills, you got to go back to the drawing board here. And I think that this exploits that Bills team, which we put that defense on such a pedestal. But now we're kind of taking that step back. And, you know, who have they played? Really no one. Yes, he had a nice win against the Kansas City Chiefs that really didn't look that great at the time. Maybe a little bit better now. I don't think that looks that great because, you know, me dissing the Kansas City Chiefs. As much as I love Josh Allen and the boys, I need to definitely pump the brakes here a little bit. Now I have to go back to the drawing board about a hot take of why I should support Josh Allen because I hate you being right, Wally, because he is not playing up to his expectations, and that's not really completely his fault because they're asking too much of him. The Bills' defense was exploited. Their offensive line, which we knew had a problem, and their running game, which we knew was a huge problem, was exacerbated in this game. The Bills' team is in trouble. The Finns are getting hot. Pats are taking control, and I think they're going to win the AFC East now. I want to pose this question to you, something that I brought up and something I came to a realization of, and I want to get your opinion. I think it's safe to say now might be a little bit too early. I think we all can say that it wasn't Tom. It wasn't Bill. They're both awesome without each other and even better together. So I think we should rest the comments, the arguments about was it Tom, was it Bill? It's both of them combined is dangerous, separate, dangerous, not as 
But I think you should give props to both of them instead of skewing them one way. Oh my god, yeah. I, I mean, it's asinine to be out there trying to pretend that these guys both aren't great. And we do this, it's such a, it's a weird thing we do in our culture here in America where everything has to be ranked. Everything has to be ranked and no matter what we do. Is it the best? Is it the GOAT? They can both be incredible at what they do and not detract when one does really well when they're separated and the other hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. That is not right. Bill Belichick is the best NFL coach ever. You can make a case for the best football coach ever. Tom Brady is one of the best ever. You can make a case for the best quarterback ever. Those things can be independent and both true. And for some reason, we have to like like gauge them against one another. It makes no sense, and I'm tired of it. So I won't entertain it. I'm happy that you and I, again, were on the same path there. And with that, that's going to wrap us up with our Week 13 recaps, which only means that we're diving right into the Week 14 bets. But before I do that, a word from Walter Lukashensky. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabbies offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabbies.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time, and it's not a fix. Like, Don't get me wrong about that, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That is Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabease.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get into some game previews. Heading into this week, the Indianapolis Colts, Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles, all with a bye week here this week. Wally, how did we end up last week? And send us into our first game, bud. You killed it last week. You went 17 and 11 in a way you gambled. That would have been good for three or four units, you'd imagine. I was 12 and 14, so I'd be down one and a half, two units. Not great, not a great week by any stretch for me, but thank God, hopefully people were following you last week and... And with that being said, I'll throw us into our first game. Being the Thursday night football game this week, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to Minnesota to face the Vikings, who are minus three, where the over-under is set at 44.5. The Vikings are going to be able to score on the Steelers. If they even slow up T.J. Watt a little bit, they'll do enough to win and cover this game, but the Steelers score two, and the winning team will be in the high 20s or low 30s. So I love, love, love this over. The Steelers will hang around, though. They don't have enough to go on and beat this team or go on a tear in this final month. So I think the Vikings win this game. They cover, but I am hammering the over. With the defensive injuries that are happening in the secondary 
here for the Pittsburgh Steelers, mostly with Joe Hayden, with that huge question mark, if he's able to play their number one cornerback. I could see Minnesota having that bounce back game and lighting up this Pittsburgh Steelers defense. To, to your point, we'll see how much they can slow down TJ Watt. But this has Minnesota winning this game all over. Pittsburgh is riding high after that win over Baltimore, but it's all about how can you overcome big wins and tough losses, which you can kind of pair in here. Obviously, that huge win, all that momentum you have here, you have to travel on a short week up to Minneapolis. Minnesota looking to get out of this two-game skid that they have put themselves in after climbing all the way back up to a 5-5 five and five record, now sitting at 5-7. and seven. I like the Minnesota Vikings in this offense to really start balling. We'll see how Adam Thielen is faring in this game if we with that ankle injury, that ankle sprain. We'll see if that's going to keep him out. Most likely is. Justin Jefferson game. Kid has been balling. I know he's going to be the number one. You still have Alexander Matson there in the backfield. I think that Minnesota can get this done, covering that three as well as their money line here in the Thursday night game to open up the week 14. The Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites in that over-under set at 48 and a half. This is a lot of points. This is not a Kansas City team, as you have heard here in the earlier part of the episode, that I just do not trust. That offensive line is going to have a fun matchup with Max Crosby, Yannick, and Gakwe. These are typically closer games that 41-14, to your point, like you said, was actually pretty close down the stretch. That fourth quarter hit, Kansas City flipped the switch for 15 minutes, not for anything spectacular, but 15 minutes and just blow the doors off the Raiders. I think it's going to be a little bit different here. I like the Raiders covering the nine and a half. Kansas City to win, continue to push that streak up to six games that they have won. But I like Vegas to at least show a little bit life in this game and cover. Chiefs by a billion. Chiefs minus nine and a half, money line, any over. That's all I got to say. I, I, let's talk about a you game gotta, that I want to talk about. You have to have confidence. I can't be the only one having confidence. We're the only ones that have confidence in each, in each other's team, and I get that. You know, It's a real, real give-and-take relationship that we have here, but come on. No, Come this on, is this is me. literally a repeat of last year when the Raiders went to the Chiefs, or at least I pray it is, where you were trying to tell me, oh, take the Raiders plus nine and a half, ten and a half, whatever it was, and they actually won that game. I have the same feeling I went going in, so hopefully that's a good sign. No, the Raiders' season is over. I'm tired of believing, and that's it. I mean, if you can't find wide receivers, and Deshaun Jackson is pouting when he's not getting the ball or he's fumbling when it, when he does. I'm I'm over. I really I am done. I'm watching the NFL as an NFL fan. I, I've got no allegiance right now. I'm disgusted. Go pack go, baby. Come on, join me. Whatever. Anyways, the Ravens are going to the the Browns. The Browns are two and a half point favorites. Over unders 41 and a half. Alright, here we go. Crumpling up the Raiders paper. You can hear it right now. Why am I supposed to believe though? that this game is going to be the game where the Browns' offense figures everything out. The Ravens have now gone 5-2 and two against the Browns with Lamar at QB, and the only thing right now that is giving me any kind of pause at all is the fact that this game, you are getting the Browns off a of bye, how much more well-rested they are, but until they prove it, why would I buy it? I have the Ravens plus 2.5, which naturally means I'm going to be popping them with the money line as well. So I'm going to go on the other side. I like the Browns at the minus two and a half here, and I'm going to take their money line as well. To your point, the, the Browns are coming off rested after a bye week, but also who was their last opponent? The Baltimore Ravens. This Browns team has got to sulk over the past two weeks 
over this Baltimore Ravens team. They got to see the Pittsburgh Steelers beat them. The Cincinnati Bengals lose this past week. So now all of a sudden, Cleveland, it's like, you know what? This is, we're still in the mix right here. Not only for the playoffs, but hell, for the division right now. It looks like Baltimore is starting to kind of teeter back here a little bit. No one's going to trust Pittsburgh. No one can definitely trust the, the Bengals with all the injuries that they just had here this past week. We'll see how they're going to go here down the stretch. But Cleveland needs to understand the opportunity that is in front of them. You have a Ravens team that you played two weeks ago. Again, you've been sulking on it. I bet you spent that bye week not only extensively watching that film, but watching that Pittsburgh game as well. Kind of two birds, one stone you get to watch with that. I like Cleveland to bounce back in here. To get this dub, split the season series, bring that to a 3-5 and five record that they face against Lamar Jackson. And all of a sudden, it's going up in flames in Baltimore. The Jacksonville Jaguars are visiting the Tennessee Titans for an AFC South matchup where the Titans are 8.5 point favorites. The over-under is set at 43.5. I like the Jags at plus 8.5 here. And you know what? I'm going with their fucking money line as well. Julio Jones is expected back. Yeah, Wally's rolling his eyes. Just what the hell? You signed up for this. You know what you got in here when you agreed to do the podcast with me, Wally. Stupid takes that I hope pan out so I can talk shit to you. The Jacksonville Jaguars, this is a game that I believe that they can win. Game that everyone's counting them out. The Tennessee Titans are known to lose games like this where they are high favorites. Go back to the uh, New York Jets game here. What, week five, week six? Yes, Julio Jones is expected and designated to come off the IR. We'll see if A.J. Brown even gets the start. We know their injury history with Derrick Henry. And that offensive line you can't trust. And Ryan Tannehill has been subpar at best during Derrick Henry's absence. I like Tennessee to drop this game. Really start scratching their head. Indianapolis all of a sudden starting to come for that AFC South lead to make Steve right at the beginning of the year with his picks. Yes, I know. It's, we're not expecting Derrick Henry to be out, so take it with a grain of salt, the pick that I had. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Upset alert, money line, but most importantly, the eight and a half I think is too much, and they're at least going to cover that at bare minimum. God, no. I See, I wasn't rolling my eyes as like uh, disgusted with you. It was more of a roll my eyes and exasper- what, exasperate. What's the word I'm looking for? Exasperation. There it is. I just was really shocked that you would actually have the gall to do it. I agree that they cover. I actually have them plus eight and a half as well. But I'm now you have me second guessing if I should take that at least the Tennessee money line. I'm still doing it. But anyways, Tennessee is a bad football team without Derrick Henry. There's no denying that. But I am going to take that Jags with the points more because of that than I like them. It's going to be a really, really ugly game. I just... Right now, after that win they had about a month ago, we've kind of seen the Jaguars regress. I know that the Tennessee Titans haven't been good by any stretch of the imagination either, but the Jaguars, I think, are just going to out-bad Tennessee here. I think they keep it close enough. It's within a touchdown, but I almost, I don't know. If you're right, I mean, credit to you, but this is going to be one that's going to be very difficult to get through. And speaking of difficult to get through... I have seen solar eclipses that are easier on the eyes in this upcoming matchup. The New Orleans Saints are five and a half point favorites going to the New York Jets at MetLife. I have no idea who's going to win this game, so I'm not betting a winner. The under hits, though, the Saints defense is too good and their offense is too bad to get to the 43 and a half. The only risk that you would have there with that is if there's defensive scores in this game. But my God, dude, Taysom Hill... He ain't it. Zach Wilson, he ain't it. 
I don't know where the points come from in this game. If I had to guess who would win, I mean, it's boring because they're a five and a half point favorite, but I think the Saints do end up winning a game like 17-13 or I don't know, something like that. It's gross, but the under hits, that's, that's my bet here. You said it earlier here in the episode that the Saints have lost five in a row. Since they've had this quarterback carousel between Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill, five in a row. I'd argue that's the hungriest team in the NFL right now outside of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Detroit Lions just got their win here this past week. This team is hungry to win. And this is a talented team on the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. Alvin Kamara, he needs to be back in the offense. They need to get him healthy. But Taysom Hill, this is an uncharacteristic game for Taysom Hill. Last year, you know, he went, what, 3-1, and 4-1. and one and had some pretty solid games. And I think that he is built for a bounce-back game against a way lesser opponent. And I think that Sean Payne's going to get his boys right. The Jets are just prone to getting blown out. doesn't matter if it's at home against Garner Minshew or at home against Taysom Hill. I believe that they are going to get blown out. I think the five-and-a-half is really easy. And honestly, I'd buy it up to just a touchdown just for, just for shits and giggles. Pair that up with their money line as well just to be safe. I like the Saints to cover this with a little bit extra and their money line. The Dallas Cowboys, the matchup of the week, going to the Washington football team at FedEx Field where the Cowboys are four-point favorites against the hottest team in the division? I'm going to take the Washington football team at plus four. I'm going to take the Dallas money line paired up with this. I like the way Taylor Heineke is playing. He's not turning the ball over as much. Yes, there's going to be some turnovers. That's inevitable. We'll see if Diggs can continue his interception streak. If they can get their two pass rushers back, that's on the Dallas side of the ball. This defense is going to look a little bit different being able to add pressure to Taylor Heineke. But I like Taylor Heineke to continue his hot streak. But the Washington football team just to come up a tad bit short and Dallas now starting to get really healthy get their offense back into the groove of things this is one of their five division matchups to end the year and I think it's going to start with the win here in Washington yep the football team to cover that four points man I stayed away from actually picking a cover here because of a lot of things you said I I have Dallas and I have them winning this game but I think it's going to be a really close game Washington is playing with a lot of confidence right now. I know they've beaten a lot of bad teams here on their win streak, including a very bad one out West last week. But Dallas is going to, I think, win this game probably by about a touchdown. At some point, I do think that their offense and that running game is going to be a little bit too much for Washington. And for that reason, I do have the money line. Hopefully for you, though, it's by a field goal or less so that we can both be happy here with the win. This next game, Atlanta at Carolina. This is getting to the point of the year where there's a lot of just ugly matchups. And this one is such an ugly matchup. Carolina's minus three with the over-under set at 43.5. I literally have no idea on this game whatsoever. I'm putting my money in the hands of the skill players on the Atlanta offense. Even at this stage of his career, Matt Ryan is the guy to bet here from a quarterback perspective. The Dirty Birds go on the road and they get a meaningless division win here. So I take the Falcons plus three, and naturally I am going to take them with the money line. That energy from that first game after blowing out the Arizona Cardinals has just died in that Carolina locker room. You said it best, that divisional matchup, Cam Newton expecting to start. I like the Carolina defense, the most untalked about defense. Don't look now. Hassan Riddick, second 
in between T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett with the most sacks in the NFL. Again, no one's talking about it. J.C. Horn with that pending return. Got Stephon Gilmore in that secondary. I like what this defense is doing, and they're just not being talked about. Atlanta, I don't trust them. Yeah, you got score Daryl Patterson back in the lineup, and that's really all you have. I don't trust Matt Ryan. If you watch those Falcons games, dude, that dude hates his fucking life. I do not. Those are the games. Even, even the Detroit Lions look fun. Matt Ryan is not. I'm just straight up not having a good time. That is Matt Ryan right there. So I feel bad for him, and the, and the losing is going to continue. I like Carolina at the minus three. I'm taking them there. I can see them winning by a touchdown in what I think is going to be an ugly game in the NFC South. The Seattle Seahawks are seven and a half point favorites traveling to the Houston Texans. It's the Houston Texans. I'm taking Seattle minus seven and a half. Is there anything else I need to say? No, not really. I mean, as I said earlier, the Texans have been held under 10, six different times this year, as in half the games they've played. Even this ghost of a good football team in Seattle is going to go on the road there and get it done. I'm with you. I have Seattle minus seven and a half, and I just took the money line in the under for the same reasons. And, and to add before we even toss over the next game, not only have they scored less than 10 points six times, they've been blown out by, they have lost games by 10 points or more, seven of those 12 games that they played. I feel like if you see that and they're not in double digits, you're pretty much set. I mean, shit, you saw them against the Rams. They were down 38 to nothing and scored 22 points in the last eight minutes to make it look like they actually played a football game. But that's enough of that one. The Detroit Lions are traveling to the Mile High City where Denver is an eight-point favorite and the over-under is set at 42. I really wanted to take the Broncos minus eight with them coming off a brutal division loss and the Lions getting that first emotional win under Dan Campbell. But I just don't think it's going to happen. The Broncos aren't good enough to blow teams out right now. So they'll shove it up my hoop naturally and that's what will happen. They'll blow them out because I said that. But I'm expecting a 24-17 to kind of win. So I think the Lions cover... Broncos win outright, so that's my bet there for you, Steven. Main words, this Bronco team is not built to blow out teams. Yes, Detroit plus eight, I'm going to take the Denver money line. That's too many points for this matchup. I don't understand where it's coming from. I have to, I must stay focused to this injury report because I'm clearly missing something. Teddy Bridgewater team is not eight points better than a one win, one tied, ten loss Detroit Lions team I don't care if it's that mile high because Dan Campbell those boys are about a mile high riding that after this victory I think that they can continue it not to win the game because I want them to lose I'm sorry Brock I'm sorry Butson I need this under to hit they can start when there's under three games they can win the last three games of the year all right I'm cool with that just this next couple I need you guys to lose I think that this is going to happen I would not be surprised if Detroit wins I'd sprinkle a little bit on their money line just because why not? It's a, I'm sure it'll be a nice plus 210, plus 220 around that area. I like Detroit at plus 8 in their money line just with you, Wally. The New York Giants at the Los Angeles Chargers, where the Chargers are 10.5 point favorites there at SoFi, and the over-under is set at 44.5. I know I said maybe this is the game the Chargers can start rolling after that victory against Cincinnati. We'll see if Daniel Jones, what his availability is. So far, he is already listed as doubtful for this week with that next train that he had. So all signs are pointing to Mike Lennon being the starter, traveling to the opposite coast. So I'm expecting the Chargers to cover this 10.5 point favorite. And obviously I'm going to pair that up with their money line just to make a little bit of juice because I know that money line is going to be high. Yes, the Giants' best aspect of their game is their defense, but Justin Herbert, after putting up that performance, I can see that offense continue to keep rolling. 
pass this week and the Giants to continue to face plant like they have during this Joe Judge era. We have the same picks here again, which I don't know if that's good or bad. We've kind of had a lot here in the last few games. But this is a really weird matchup just from the fact that the Giants constantly underperform and the Chargers love to play down to the competition. What's going to give? I think that it's very safe to say that the Chargers will win. So I agree with the money line pick. But because they like to play down to the level competition that they have, and Justin Herbert, while statistically has looked outstanding, he's still kind of left a little to be desired here and there. I think this is close enough. And remember, because of the hook at 10.5, you win by 10 points if the Chargers, you win that bet too with the Giants plus 10.5. So I'm rolling the exact same bets as you here. And I think that it's pretty safe at least it feels pretty safe, and that naturally that means it won't be. The next game, the San Francisco 49ers are a point favorite against the Cincinnati Bengals on the road. That's a little surprising, especially bringing up that road fact. And the total in this game is set at 47.5. Against my better judgment, I'm riding with the Bengals. I want to be clear, if Burrow can't go, I won't be making this bet on them, but I don't think it'll cause them to miss any time, or at least that's what everybody's saying that this pinky's not going to cause anything. But I always have a difficult time betting on a lesser quarterback and a pick em. Shanahan, sure, he's significantly better than Zach Taylor. That's without question. I'm taking Joe Burrow, though, to basically be the catalyst against Kyle Shanahan in his mind here. Bengals win, taking those wounded cats plus one and their money line. Wounded cats. We were talking about all the injury injuries that they had faced over the last couple of games most importantly against that Chargers team. I like the San Francisco 49ers to come to Cincinnati to cover that one point, which I'm assuming is going to move to a pick once it's more solidified. And we know that Joe Burrow is going to start. He, he ended that game fresh off that injury last week. What makes you think he is not going to start? Get something, maybe a maybe a nice little pinky sleeve like Brett Favre used to rock on his thumb when he broke his thumb for that little bit in the 06, 07. There's too many injuries for this team to overcome. San Francisco, both these teams are looking to get their minds right. And San Francisco, I think, is just going to be a tad bit hungrier right there, losing to the Seattle Seahawks this past week when they had that opportunity to tie it or win it, maybe go for a two-point conversion like the Baltimore Ravens, but they just weren't able to do so, and they squandered it away. I like San Fran. Come across the country, get a win in Cincinnati. The next game that we have here on our slate, the Buffalo Bills. Man, this Bills team, this next three weeks, they're just they hate their opponents. Traveling to Tampa Bay against their former foe, Tom Brady, who they also they still hate. Come on, they're never going to get over that guy. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are three-point favorites fresh off a second straight victory here. Over-under is set at 52.5. Tampa Bay all day. This defensive line is going to dismantle the Buffalo Bills offensive line. The running game that the Buffalo Bills do not have, that is going to show in this game. Vita Vea, Vernon Golston, the Dominican Sioux. Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett. That front seven is going to have a day. And again, Josh Allen is just asked to do too much. And this looks like it's a good game for Josh Allen to have a spectacular passing performance based off the injuries and just the overall not playing well on that back half of that defense. Still, I think that front seven for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to cause too many problems, disrupt too many plays, disrupt too much timing. For that Bills offense, I see Buffalo losing their second straight to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay covering the three points. Now Buffalo's heading into Foxborough week 15 with a lot more pressure 
than they were facing this week in Tampa Bay. I love the city of Buffalo. Contrary to what most of you guys actually believe, I actually like the Bills too. I just don't believe that they're nearly as good as what the world wants you to believe that they are right now. And coming off that difficult loss in that win game on Monday night, they're going to have a short week to prepare for Tom Brady and the Bucks. I really don't like that. I really don't like it at all. And here, are you ready for a terrible joke, Steven? Terrible dad joke. TB12? More like TB wins by more than 12. Uh, yeah, that's what I got for you. I just don't know how you confidently were able to bring that to the table here. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing about me that's confident right now. You just got a a, a very down football fan that's willing to make bad jokes and, and feel bad about himself. So here we are. The Chicago Bears going up the Lambeau to face your Packers, who are 12.5-point favorites here. Total is set at 44. I have the Packers minus 12.5 in the money line. The first score that popped into my head when I looked at this game was 31-13, to and that's literally camping at that total of 44, and that makes me trust my gut a lot more. The Packers are the better team, and they're going to be the better team in this game throughout. They win and cover and get within a win or a Vikings loss of once again becoming the NFC North champions. Oh, music to my ears. Not a surprise at all. We see Green Bay taking the NFC North crown. It's either this week, the next, the next week, or the week after. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers over the last five years are not great post-bye week. But they also have never played Chicago during that span post-bye week. Aaron Rodgers, the last five games against Chicago, just under 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and 5-0 and during that stretch. The man, the myth, the legend said it, said it himself. I still own you. And he's going to continue that at home. 12 and a half, moving to 22 and a half. Six touchdowns in the first half like he did just a few years ago against that Chicago team. Dismantling it. Green Bay's getting it rolling. Hopefully that they're going to get David Bakhtiari back. So Darius Smith, their outside linebacker, who they've missed all of this year, has been teasing his return on his Instagram, potentially this is going to be the week that he gets back in here. Watch out, NFC. Watch out, NFL. Packers are going to steamroll the Bears here. That doesn't really mean anything, but just a confidence builder. Get Bakhtiari back in there. Khalil Mack, less Chicago Bears, are going to get spanked. Adam Alfonso, can't wait to text your bitch ass about it. The last game of the week, the Monday night matchup, which I really would love the Los Angeles Rams to beat the Arizona Cardinals in the desert where the Cardinals are three-point favorites over under set at 51 and a half. And even though I want that to happen, I still am picking the Cardinals at minus three as well as their money line. They have proven with or without Kyler Murray they can get it done. But most importantly, they have proved with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins getting back in the lineup that that offense has not missed a beat, which is scary. That defense, which I talked about last week, is the least talked about defense outside of the Carolina Panthers, obviously. That's a top five defense that no one's talking about right now in Arizona. I think that they can cause some problems against the Rams here. Get Rams right back into it's a being sad, eating their carton of ice cream because they just cannot seem to get that clicking. They can't beat the good teams. They can only beat the shitty Jacksonville Jaguars. And all of a sudden, if San Fran wins this, LA has the opportunity of being third place in the NFC, and potentially missing that last wild card spot, depending on how everything shakes up. At the end of the day, I think that they'll beat out the Washington football team and the Minnesota Vikings for that spot, but I don't know. Only time will tell over the next five weeks. Arizona Cardinals, minus three in their money lining against the Los Angeles Rams. I do believe the Rams still will make the playoffs, but I don't think it's going to be because of a game like this. 
I think that the Cardinals are going to win, and I think they're going to cover. I'm starting to whip out my Sherlock Holmes magnifying glass on the Rams team like you are. There are huge names left and right, but it hasn't clicked on the football field yet. Now we're at the point in the season two where teams are tuning up for the postseason and not trying to gel like this Rams team is still trying to do. Because of that, I'm taking Cliff Kingsbury in the battle of the young hunk head coaches. Cards cover, take their money line too. And that's a wrap for our gambling segment there, Steven. And with that, that is going to bring us to our last segment and our favorite, the Prop Lock and Dropper, where me and Wally try to lead you to our Prop of the Week, our Absolute Lock of the Week. New England Patriots plus two and a half, and their money line was pretty fucking sweet by this guy. And the Drop, the game we want to stay away from. Wally, I will toss it to you. What is your Prop Lock and Drop it this week? God, I wish I could remember what my lock was too, but yeah, that was a hell of a call on your part there, Steven. My Prop... I told you guys, you guys think that I'm full of shit, and I guess that there's reason after last year, but I think the Chiefs are going to steamroll the Raiders this week. I think this is where the Raiders season goes officially from bad to really, really ugly. I'm taking Kansas City at minus 16.5, and and that pays plus 180. Little bit of, uh, I mean, that's a seven-point swing from off of the 9.5 that Vegas has given you, but that means that Vegas is basically saying, hey, They're either going to win by 10 or they're going to win by about 7 or so. All I'm basically saying is the Raiders make one more mistake. I don't know if that is a pick 6. I don't know if that just means the Chiefs have a a fourth quarter like they did in Vegas a few weeks ago. But the Chiefs steamroll the Raiders, cover 16.5, and and that's at plus 180. My lock is the over in that Pittsburgh-Minnesota game. I think both of those teams, Minnesota defense is a joke, which is crazy coming out of Mike Zimmer. But the Steelers team has at least shown that they're willing to run the ball a little more this week after that disgusting display of play calling against the freaking Bengals the week before. I think that there's going to be a lot of points there. I think it's going to be well over the over there. That, to me, is an absolute lock. And then the drop, it's Atlanta and Carolina. I mean, why would anybody want to bet this game? This gives you, if you have no money on it, an excuse not to watch it. And that's more or less what I'm doing here. It'll be on red zone, but don't believe that I'm going to be sitting there keyed in play to play in this Matt Ryan versus whoever the hell is going to be starting on Sunday for Carolina. My prop lock and drop it here for the week. This one might be a shocker to you because I feel like I ride this on the other side of it. I'm going to go Saquon Barkley under the rushing yards against the Los Angeles Chargers. We know how bad that Los Angeles Chargers rushing attack is. They seem to at least... Get it together a little bit here this past week against Joe Mixon and the Bengals. Still don't have that much trust with them. But one thing I trust less than this rushing defense for the Chargers is the offensive line mental capacity for the New York Giants. They can't protect anyone if it's Saquon, Mike Lennon, Daniel Jones. Doesn't matter. They cannot protect them. I expect this Chargers team, hopefully with Joey Bosa, Expected to be playing here, even though he was sat out with the concussion protocol, that he got cleared to come back and play. The Chargers decided just to bench him the rest of the game here last week. I like them to come off fresh here. Jerry Tillery and the boys in that front line going to cause problems for that Giants offensive line. And Saquon is going to do a little bit more damage in the receiving game than he would in the rushing game. Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus three versus the Buffalo Bills is my lock of the week. I can't trust the Bills right now. They are who they thought they were. They beat up on the teams that they should. They're losing to the teams that they shouldn't. I'd like Tampa Bay to continue to move this through a three-game winning streak, causing Buffalo to go into a two-game losing streak. 
And again, the Buccaneers would cover that three points. And my drop of the week, the Cleveland Browns minus two and a half against the Baltimore Ravens. I know I was pretty high on the Browns coming off that bye week, sulking in it for the last two weeks of that loss to the Baltimore Ravens. This could be the game that Baltimore just continues to still own them. Or maybe Cleveland bounces back just for this one week because they've had so much time to prepare for this game again. I want to stay away from it. It's a local game that will be played, so I am going to watch it. And it will be a fun matchup. And with that, that is going to bring us to an end of Prop Lock and Drop It and another episode of Loss of Down. Before we head out of here, I do want to give a special shout out to one of our day one listeners. We have Miss Abby Turner, friend of the show. She was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma here uh, beginning of September. So, you know, she's been dealing with going to that chemotherapy. And what we found out actually here this past week is that through this chemotherapy, she is two whole months ahead of schedule. Her body has had the response to the chemo so positively that she is now two months ahead of schedule and she is 99% cancer free. And now she moves into the radiation stage to finally get this over want to give a huge shout out abby thank you for listening congratulations on this love seeing this cannot wait to see you and kyle here to celebrate a little bit on top of that lions finally getting that dub throw back a couple drinks and what other extracurricular activities that we want to have planned well said steven and i know that i really don't know abby or kyle personally yet we just know each other through each like you and me and doing this podcast but just that's this incredible news, especially this time of year, how special that is. I'm I'm really, really happy for you. And I, I'm really excited to, to get to see you and celebrate with you, hopefully here before too long. Congratulations, guys. I There's nothing else that I want to add to that. That's a perfect way to end the show. We have to keep riding that high. Until next week, he is Wally Lukashensky. I am Stephen Weed. This is Loss of Down. Cannot wait to put some more money in your pocket this weekend. Go Navy, beat Army. 